So in episode 20, we did one that was advice from a general contractor to empower subcontractors. And so you being a subcontractor, we wanted to bring you in and kind of give the counterpoint to that. So the advice for a general contractor from a subcontractor's point of view, because a lot of those general contractors are really good at beating down on the subs. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CM Mentors Podcast. My name is Matt Graves, and my co-host each week is Kyle Grandel. What's going on, Kyle? Hey, Matt, I'm just hanging out in lovely Des Moines, Iowa still. How about you? I'm uh, in hot Houston, Texas. It is hot. I don't even want to go outside. What is it right now? It is, I don't even know, man. It's too hot to go outside. <laughs> so trying to figure that out. Um, I don't know, man. We're down here. It's hot. It's humid. The heat index is 20 degrees more than the temperature says. So I don't even know. But for, for any of the listeners wondering, Matt is considering a, a, Matt's considering a, a new career in uh, meteorology, as you can tell. So um, stay tuned. It's, I'll be, I'll you only have to be like 50% right to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll be you better be than the average. Right until the day of. <laughs> Don't so, you wish you could do that? This Your week. Be within 20%. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I appreciate it because I'm. It'd be a lot better at that probably than I am in my day job. <laughs> but no, anyway, uh, this wrong. week we have. <laughs> they are. They everyone starts bitching and complaining, and so it's fun. Um, now this week uh, we have David Wolke. He's with he's the vice president at Hill Electric, and Angela Gardner kind of set us up with him. We got to meet Angela. I have recently. I was on their uh, Women Talk Construction podcast, and um, her and Christy do some awesome stuff, and so. She spoke highly of David and was like, man, we got to get him on. So welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Excited to be here. Um, Angela is slowly training me to do the podcast and uh, public speaking. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, I'm again, I'm we, glad to have you on here, David, because now we can finally outnumber Matt like we were talking about before we got started. Electricians. So, that's right. It's about time. Yeah, that. Uh, I was, I was listening to your Empowering Subcontractors podcast, and it's funny you mentioned electrician is always the last to finish. Anytime anyone ever asks me, like, when are you going to be done? It's easy. It's like two weeks after everyone else. That's, 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 it's like 90% of the time is exactly what happened. Just put that can't, in the schedule every time, right? Yeah. Can't you go faster? Yeah, I'll put the conduit there first, and then you put the building. That'll work. I love it, man. Hey, so you just want to give us a little bit of bio of yourself? Sure. Um, so uh, electrical engineer by education, worked for uh, a textile manufacturing company for seven years out of college, Went uh, was over three different plants as a pro uh, plant engineer, um, and then did a little bit of project management role there. And then past 13 years, I've been here at Hill Electric, uh, went from project manager to operations manager and now um, vice president as you said in that same podcast you know if you show up to work every day and don't do anything stupid to get fired pretty soon you look around and you're at the top of the totem pole which is <laughs> been fortunate in that aspect but um so my responsibilities at hill electric are everything to do with labor so hiring where people go every day uh, progression of labor force education technical and safety of labor force and then i have some uh, job sites just because of location and I like to be close to home on the way home or close to my house on the way home they're near my house so guess what I'm your project manager congratulations uh, so some that I do project management role um, and try to fill in there so that's awesome man so we wanted to bring you on so in episode 20 we did one uh, that was uh, advice from a general contractor to empower subcontractors and so you being a subcontractor we wanted to bring you in and kind of give the counterpoint to that. So the advice for a general contractor from a subcontractor's point of view, because a lot of those general contractors are really good at beating down on the subs. And so kind of wanted to, um, you know, I came from the subcontractor world. I know Kyle had time there as well. And, um, you know, my, my heart is kind of with those guys. I'm on the owner's rep side now, obviously, but man, they're at the bottom of the hill and shit rolls down to them all day, every day from every direction. So um, just wanted to bring you in and kind of just, <laughs> give a little bit of advice to the GCs, especially kind of the, the newcoming GCs that are coming into the industry. Seems like there's a lot of them. Every day there's another one, it feels like. And they're learning from sometimes not the best mentors that they have. And so they're learning how to do stuff sometimes the wrong way, I might say. 
But um, anyway, uh, I guess you want to start it off. Do you have any general advice from a subcontractor? General advice. Uh, so I, I did think it was um, interesting that, you know, I came up with that topic and was listening to the podcast, making some notes for today and realized that you guys actually talked more about what general contractors can do well for subs than you did what subs can do well for generals which was a bit surprising for me because when I first saw the topic, I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Another general talking about how many meetings we need to go to and how much paperwork we need to go to you know, do and, you know, five hours of certifications we need to have and all this stuff. But it, it, it wasn't, it was, it was very pleasant for me. Um, you know, what John spoke about uh, through that, you know, what, what a general can do. And, and the funny thing is he brought up, I guess his favorite job or the job that he said went, his best experience and everything he said matched up to my best experience with a general. Uh, and it was, it, it was, it was very good. So, um, you know, I guess we could start there. He, he mentioned a couple of things, you know, you guys focus a little bit on those mini meetings. So our, our, the job situation that I was at was we had a tornado hit one of our facilities that we have been in for 20 years. Uh, and, Am I, is it all right to say facility names? What's what's the rules here? Does it matter? Whatever you feel. Doesn't like matter. You. So it was, it was Borg Warner up in Seneca. They got flattened by a tornado, and they provide Ford Motor Company with transfer cases for F one hundred and fifties. They're the only facility to do it. So when they're down, Ford's down. Uh, and the Ford came in and brought in their general contractor in, and it's the best management. It's such it's such simple stuff, but it went so well. Um, for example, we start every day with a walkthrough. Every contractor we had a representative there. It took about an hour. There's no to go through that full site and talk about everything that's going down in an hour, and it be it, it was there was no fluff. There was no working out details. It was hey, here's where they are. Here's where they are. Hey, we've got to get in here to do this. Okay, you 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 meet me at this time afterward. We'll talk about it. Let's move on. Next thing. Hey, we need this roof on. What can we do? I need lifts. I need this. I need this. Can anyone provide them with a lift? Yeah, I got an extra lift. Okay. I got this. I got this. Hey, I need them out of the way. Hey, we can, what, well, we can't get out of the way because we've got to do this. Well, what do you need to make it in two weeks? Oh, if we could do this, if you could do this, we could make it in two weeks. Can anyone help me do that? Yeah. Okay. And then we moved on. Um, and, and it was, it was fantastic. And we were moving at light speed. Now, granted, it was a TNM job. So that might make it a little different, um, but I say that, but you've got a very, very rigid uh, structure from the insurance company that is watching every single penny. Yeah. So you're trying to go at light speed and watch costs, but it, it went very well. And then you had your mini meetings afterward where you'd work out the details for the specifics. And then the next walkthrough, you'd give everyone the general idea of who's where, what they're doing. And it, it just made it streamlined. This was every day, every morning when you started the day? Every morning set for the, you know, it was 24 hours, seven days a week up until they got back running. And every morning, and it, like I said, it took about an hour. Strangely, it only took an hour to cover everything. You weren't bogged down in. I, I agree that there needs to be um, unified communication where it, it, people know what's going on. But that that's what that was. That was, hey, let's touch this. And who's going to be in this space at this time and a brief of what you're doing? And then everyone could speak up and say, well, actually, I need to be in there to do this instead of sitting in a, a meeting room talking about it. You know, the other extreme is we've had job sites uh, slightly over the border from us in Georgia where I don't know a good way to explain how this is. But if you've had uh, manufacturing experience, you'll get it. But it seemed like they were running the construction site like a manufacturing facility. And even though you're still going after production and different things, it's a completely different world. So we would have a meeting in the morning and then we'd have a meeting in the afternoon and the next day we'd have a meeting. So we'd have a meeting with like the high, you know, the high level. And then we'd cover the same thing with a different group from that company in the afternoon and cover the exact same topics. And then the next day we'd cover it with the subs, you know, it's like, yeah. same information every day and very little changes. Uh, we, we actually had to manage like six people. We had to have two superintendents on site, one to go to the meetings and one to manage the people. I've and actually so it, seen it was that. Very extreme. Seen that. 
I've seen that a lot, David. I'm glad you bring that one up. It's something that uh, it's not a good use of time and efficiency. And I've, I've had to push back on my owners sometimes and say, guys, you don't need the contractors in both of these meetings. I can be there for one of them and I can give the information so that these guys can get out there and get going on the work. That's how we're going to get the stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. The, the other aspect of the plant versus the construction is your typical of a plant is when someone brings up a concern, you have to address it with a solution. But sometimes in the construction world, they bring up a concern and it's like, no, it's not it's not feasible or it's not worth it. And, you know, and move on. But on the plant, it stays on that list for months and months and months until and you cover it every month until you have a solution that's acceptable. And, and it's just not the world we live in in construction. Well, and, and really quick, David, uh, you know, the first thing you talked about was that 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 initial that walkthrough meeting, that hour long meeting, walking through the job site. And I thought that that's, that's a really cool idea. I like that because to me, it's almost combining a couple of different elements of, of some lean construction methods, which is, you know, your, your, your daily huddle, your morning huddle with all your crews, but then also the, the gamble walks, which is walking out to the, to the area of work on the site, seeing the activity taking place. So it's almost like combining the two to make a really active and really um, collaborative um, style meeting that, I mean, to me, that that's just gotta be efficient as hell. Absolutely. Yep, actually seeing where it, where this, the work currently is. I mean, it just makes all the difference in the world versus trying to explain it to someone. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's definitely got to be a happy medium on the documentation side and meeting side of it where you can communicate that information but not get bogged down in, you know, your 3D models and your stuff that is very valuable to, to that application. Because um, usually... The 3D model is great if you have all the information ahead of time, but if you're putting it in as you go, it's it's lagging at times, you know it. So it, it once again it depends on the application and the construction site and what you're doing. The construction industry, one thing that drives me crazy, and it's I get it, especially I'm on the owner's rep side, I especially get it, but is the amount of paperwork and documentation that does have to happen. And it's like yeah. sometimes we just feel like, you know, you're just all day, every day, all you're doing is prepping for the lawsuit and hope it never comes, right? You almost have to look at it in that lens. As a subcontractor in the GC, what's the, in your eyes, what's the happy medium there? Because obviously there's a time when, you know, you've got to document everything. You're going to send an email to document every little thing, or you got to write an RFI to document every little thing. But obviously that becomes over, overburdening, overburdened. And then there's a time too where it's just like handshakes in the field and you don't document anything. And then it's like, who told you to do that? Like, uh, David, like, so what it kind of in your eyes, like what, I guess, how do you train your folks on like, what's the proper level of documentation? So we're, we're fortunate as a 85, um, 85 person or 85 steel fat field staff employee company, uh, that it's, it's a little easier with the smaller job sites that we have, you know, large job site for us is 20 people. Um, that it's a little easy to be in constant contact with my superintendents. Uh, and, and generally we get a phone call when, when that kind of activity is going on. As far as a happy medium in the CYA world, I mean, that's a tough one. It really <laughs> is. Even on that job site that I spoke so highly of, uh, we had an incident where we got a uh, outdoor all-terrain lift stuck in the mud. And it got chewed up and down about we didn't put on our JSA that we were going to get it stuck. So we didn't plan on it. And I was like, that's kind of like, you know, did you plan on getting in an accident in your car? Like, I, I, I agree you got to cover the possibility, but at some point there's got to be like, okay, stuff happens. Like, we got to move on. Uh, that was interesting. That's but, yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for that one, to be honest, Matt. It's, there's got to be some happy medium and it just comes some common sense of, of yeah. when, you're, when you're over the top, you know. I have a cynical um, opinion of JSAs and kind of safety in general. And like, I understand the importance of them, but again, it's like some of you're just, just writing the paper. It doesn't mean anything unless you're really doing like an intentional conversation about it. Right. Like, and then it's like, well, you didn't write down. It was going to be muddy. You're going to get stuck. You didn't have a plan B. You're like, no shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, at, at, at Borg Warner, the JSAs actually were pretty, they were pretty valuable. They had us do them in, in a, a different way. And every individual person had to carry it around and, um, we were able to, to hire a uh, outside safety contractor that was phenomenal 
and he would go around all he did all day was go around five minutes at a time and spend with each group and watch what they're doing check the jsa's and force them to really fill it out the way you're supposed to and then he could give input because he knows the rules really well the book the little details like when you extend the basket out on a scissor lift you have to derate the lift kind of things you know and that he addresses that we don't we don't deal with every day because we're not pushing the limits of those things um that worked really really well we don't have that luxury on a four-person job site of doing that though uh and typically like i said our job sites are between four and eight people yeah but that's the world we live in we we touch as much as we can we train as much as we can and luckily um and we can touch on this more if you want, but the, the way that we've traditionally compensated people uh, were very heavily benefit, he heavily in the benefits world of, of compensations, more so than the hourly rate. It has truly given us um, a field staff that is mature, if that makes sense, or mm -hmm. you know, down to earth about what they want. Uh, they value that stability and the flexibility that they have over trying to make as much money as possible and buying a really big truck. Um, so they're, they're more stable and, it, and it's really given us some very good leadership in the company. That's cool. And they're not chasing a dollar raise here or there and bouncing around too. You get some, get some tenure, I suppose. We do have a lot of field staff that have left us for that dollar. Yeah. And then within a year or two have come back and it's then stuck with us, you know, 15 years. Yeah. I assume the culture where they went wasn't worth the dollar. <laughs> Either that or they don't like traveling. <laughs> There's something worth being home every day. Uh, that is true. Sorry. Well, and, and, <laughs> Both of you. And, and, and Matt, to hit on the, on the safety part really quick before we leave that topic, just to share a little story from this week related to JSAs that I had on my job site, uh, working nights here, uh, watching a small crew. I mean, it's only been probably four, four millwrights working on, on night shift right now. And uh, the other day, I, I just I started to notice some behaviors out of the foreman that it just led me to believe that he's not really focused on on safety i mean obviously everybody's focused on the job but safety needs to be first otherwise that's how people people do get hurt if they're not doing the job safely of course so i noticed some things some trends and then i then i went and looked at his jsa for his crew and all of his guys had signed off on the jsa and there were no tasks written on it for what they were actually doing so I saw that and I said, hold, hold on, hold on here. We, we, we got to stop. Um, so I, I made him come and talk with me and I said, I, I got some real concerns here. Clearly you guys aren't even having the conversations and talking about stuff and understanding the purpose behind doing the paperwork. I mean, everybody hates paperwork, obviously, but the point of the paperwork is to show that you've had the conversation that, and that everybody understands what's the work that's taking place. And so the fact that the guys were just signing off without even having anything written down, I was just like, oh man, this is not a good scenario. That's my cynical opinion, basically in a nutshell, is the guys typically don't know. They're just signing it right. They're having a smoke break yeah. while the foreman fills out the form. They come up, sign it. Where's my tools? Let me get to work. You know, it's like I don't have time to deal with that. And so it's there's everybody's just I say I'm, I'm speaking in generalities, but everyone just kind of pencil whips it. And uh, I see that time and time again. The best safety programs I've seen is where it's less about the paperwork and more about the actual interaction. And right, we had a the company I worked for, they had an app and it was all the JSAs. It was almost a checklist on a, on a phone app, but they would record their basically toolbox talk essentially. Right. And they would record it all and, it, and, it, and they made it fun and that sort of stuff. But it was more about the, the actual interaction with the guys sitting around talking. Right. And having that interaction about what are you doing today? What are the hazards? And it wasn't just like, I'm going to fill out this form. Kyle sign it. David sign it. Let's get to work. Like, and you don't even know what the hell you just signed. So. Anyway, we have, a, we have a long ways to come on safety, I think, in the industry as a whole. Yeah, we have a monthly safety meeting at 6 a.m. at the shop. And, of course, everyone loves hearing me talk at 6 a.m. about safety. Um, but I do I do ask them what what was the safety topic for the week. Or I'll pick on someone. If they can stand up and tell me, they get $50. You, you know, and, and try to get them, look, hey, guys, I know you're not going to read this five-page thing, toolbox talk. I need you, just one thing. I need you to remember one thing from it every time you read it, you know. It, it's a it's a uphill battle for sure, uh, but luckily we have a very strong safety record through um, the quality of employees that we have here and uh, the companies that we choose to work for, um, and that and that goes a long ways. Oh, it definitely does. You, you did ask me what um, what I guess advice that I have for general contractors, especially all these 
it seems like you have a lot of up and coming general contractors. And it's funny, I was, I was in a, I guess a personal development group that met once a month with one of them, super nice guy. And, Oh, we're getting this. We're hoping to get this big project down in Charleston. Okay. Yep. As soon as we get it, we'll hire a uh, superintendent to go manage it. Wow. You don't have anyone to manage it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll probably have to hire six guys. You know, how many you got in your company? 10. Like, whoa. <laughs> Uh, and, so, and so my advice is um, find your wheelhouse, stay in your niche and, and stick with that. Uh, and also don't, don't chase that dollar. You know, he, John talked about finding the way to become your preferred contractor. And there, there's so many uh, generals out there that we've dealt with here recently that will do anything anywhere to make a buck. And, it is is not a positive experience. Uh, it really isn't. That was my opinion, I guess, coming out of COVID or during COVID. Really, kind of industry opinion. Of I saw I saw architects do it. I saw contractors do it. I saw a bunch of people do it. Where like COVID was scary, right? Everybody was just taking whatever work they could get because they didn't know what was going to happen. So they were taking stuff outside of their niche, outside of their comfort zone, outside of whatever. During you know the first two quarters or three quarters of twenty twenty. Well, then the next over the next year, they had to go execute this work that they had no clue how to do. Right there, you know, they may be doing hospitals all the time, but they went and got this industrial plant. Like it's piping and stuff. I can handle it. What's well, a completely different thing, right? And, and I just I think we're finally starting to finally starting to get it over that hump where all those projects are getting complete. But I felt like there was a whole bunch of people that did that, and it was just pure out of like self preservation of COVID, not knowing what was going to happen with the economy and everything else. Yeah. So. Anyway. I mean, we struggle with it too. You know, we'll, we'll do it. We've done a, we've had a rash of like jobs where we're going into existing conference rooms and saw cutting the floor to put in a receptacle in the middle for, and you know, data for a, a conference table and we'll self perform the concrete. And yet it's stupid, simple as far as concrete goes. Yeah. But it's kind of like telling me to build a TV. Like I, like <laughs> <laughs> I can YouTube it, maybe figure it out. And, and so we save a thousand dollars and it took electricians away for two days from doing electrical work. Do you self-perform your underground stuff? Uh, as far as the, which part, which aspect? Uh, like, well, any of it. I mean, really in, installing underground conduit in general. <laughs> yes, we'll self-perform that. That's in our wheelhouse. Sometimes we'll um, sub out or contract out someone to do the digging, excavating yeah. for us. And there again, staying in our wheelhouse, but exactly. you know, uh, we're doing some now for a, a Bitcoin mining operation that's it's got some heavy undergrounds. It's, it's short runs, but yeah, we we'll excavate our own and put the PVC in the ground. That's that's definitely in our wheelhouse. Um, as long as I we saw. have the correct specs on the transformer pad locations and heights, yes, that's that's something we can do. I got you. I saw the company I worked for. They, you know, they were um, you know underground plumbing, for instance. Where if you're building most of these guys, they may be on a three year project and they're working putting installing plumbing overhead, right? And so every three or four years, it's our new project, and they have to go back down to the ground. It's a completely different ball game, and just a completely different means, methods, procedures, everything else. We'd always hire out or um, you know an excavator, or somebody was you know a, basically a digger, right, to dig the ditches for us. But we, we were I don't know if they ever did after I left. They were toying around with the idea of having like a dedicated dedicated underground crew if they could schedule the projects right. So all they just do they get really good at you know doing the underground work and bounce around and then bring in the overhead guys essentially to finish out the project. And so it's just anyway. Yeah, it's it's a, a little bit different skill set. It's a little, it's a, it's almost a little easier in some aspects because you're not um, exposed to working at heights and heavy conduit and trying to thread pipe, you know, without hitting a wall or a structure or anything. Versus right. gluing some PVC together and shoving it in a hole. But definitely, uh, we've definitely been bit by undergrounds on a couple of occasions. I guess electrical is a. I, I don't want to say it's easier, but I guess it's a little bit easier on the underground because I mean, you don't really worry about sloping or anything either. So um, you're doing plumbing. I worry about the slope. Right? PBC is a little for you know a little more forgiving. Kyle, you feel free to chip in, man, because you know what? I can't run conduit, so I'm just uh, at this point I'm just kind of talking. But Kyle yeah. can't either. That's why he's Don't on the anyway. Side. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I can talk um, about it. I can't do it. Just have to, uh, are you able to read that by chance here? <laughs> what does it say? I can read a little bit. Matt stinks. <laughs> yeah. 
Is that what they yelled at at Starbucks when you picked that up? (laughs) (laughs) This is actually the uh, bed bug in uh, coffee. And by that, what I mean is it's actually instant coffee. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. I guess another topic that John brought up um, is kind of the everybody's a winner game. Everybody's as long as everybody's winning, it's good. But when the ship's going down, if you can, if you can come out ahead, yeah, that's the hard part. Uh, you know, we've had that. We've we've had all sides of that as well. And and to be honest, uh, I would say seventy five percent of our work is directly for the owners and the manufacturing facilities themselves. Twenty five percent of the work, probably closer to thirty five percent financially, is is for general contractors. Uh, we we do find our generals that we align with well. They're usually of the smaller size to fit um, that, that fit our complement or that are already working in the facilities that we're in. Um, so there there's good communication there, and and that's the size project we deal with. Um, where we tend to get in trouble is when we go for the larger job or in the larger job sites where you have you know building building of the Michelin facility here in in Anderson um, could be an example of that. You know. Where we're a small, very small cog in the big wheel, and and you've got some of those general issues that come with the general contractor, your stereotypical ones. I got you. Back on that general contractor advice, a couple of things that it's a it's a necessary evil. I feel like on every project is like submittals and RFIs. They're painful. Everyone hates them. Is there anything from your perspective that a general contractor can do better? Because usually nine times out of 10, I feel like the RFIs come from the, from the trade contractors, right? They see the problem. They have a coordination issue. Yep. Is there anything you see the general contractor can do to kind of help the RFI process or the submittal process? Uh, there absolutely is. Um, the, the best situations we've been in is when they have someone dedicated to. So I, I was I was on Clemson campus doing an interview with a co-op and. Um, there's a nice young lady, and she told me that her job, the previous co-op she did, was to take the submittals uh, for the lighting and the lighting controller and the rooms that they're in and the the uh, architectural drawings and make sure they actually work together. And I almost fell out of my chair. I'm like, wow, that really exists because we had just done a big hospital job with all these very strange architectural lights that is an absolute nightmare. And it was like, wow, where, where were you at when I needed you? Like, that would, that would be my advice. You know, you you have these submittals uh, beforehand. I'm talking about not RFIs, but, you know, initial submittals yeah. of here's what we're providing or here's what you're telling us to provide. And here's our part numbers and everything. Instead of you just checking off, please pay someone to look at it and make sure it's what you want or that it matches it matches what it's supposed to match fits in the hole that you're providing, uh, you know, meets the requirements that you're providing. Because yes, that, that that's something we're supposed to do, but we're depending on, for example, we we, we just bid a job and then they came back after we started running conduit and said, oh, you didn't have the ice, ISO drawings for the way you need to support this conduit. And then you look at them, it's like, oh, <laughs> we're talking about steel work now, you know, for hundreds of feet of conduit that we weren't in the know. Uh, so there, there is aspects there that I, I, would, I would highly suggest. Um, I'd say most also contractors with, usually point to you and point to your contract says, well, your contract says you're supposed to coordinate your work with other trades and with the facility. <laughs> those contracts say a lot of stuff we're supposed to do <laughs> and basically are responsible for every aspect of everything. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it's worth it to have that extra staff to make yeah. sure things flow smoothly in that aspect uh you know one example is we we're doing a manufacturing facility um it was a big process job uh, we'll say 35 people so extremely large for us we're one of four major contractors uh, one other electrical and the bid process was on a machine that was installed in a different country with different specs kind of did the same thing and then i mean you're going so fast they did not the general or the integrator did not provide enough staff to stay ahead of us but you're screaming at us to go faster so it's like oh how hard do you want me to run into this wall that you haven't figured out before i get there you know for example hey this machine's coming in tomorrow or you know in a week can you go and start the conduit for it sure and then we get the conduit there and the machine comes in and the conduit needs to be two sizes bigger because the feeder is bigger and they 
they knew it, but they didn't, you know, they, they went off the drawings that we were submitted for, for bids. It wasn't the machine we're installing. So things like that. Um, I, also, you mentioned the documentation. There's got to be a simple process for approving RFIs, for giving the, you know, whoever's over the electrical, the authority to, you know, within reason, approve it, move on, let's keep moving kind of deal. Um, that's what we had during the Borg Warner job, and it was phenomenal. I realized that was a little bit of an extreme because uh, if you needed 300 feet of wire, you order 500 to get it there in time and pull it in and then use the other 200 feet later. But but you've got to give the people that are there the authority instead of having to go through five layers to get there uh, and let us let us continue moving. What are what are some of the biggest bottlenecks you see typically? Is it that or is it something else? As far as working for a general, just bottlenecks would, to the construction process in general, whether it be administrative side, field side, coordination side, what you know. We used to get a uh, four weeks to bid a project. Now we'll get like three days. <laughs> uh, apparently, everyone's addicted to Amazon and expect two day delivery on everything. But um, that that's one aspect that's that's a struggle. And then you know they give you they talk about it, talk about it. They give you a PO and want you to start with twenty people the next day. Not, not something that's, that's pretty hard to swing. Uh, but no, I, I would say that is kind of along the lines of the bottleneck is getting approval on information when there's changes. Uh, and on smaller jobs, it's hard because you have someone that's managing it, but may not be electrical savvy. Uh, and that's where the, that's where you need to have good subs. All right, tell me what to do and then listen to them and make an informed decision. Uh, that's, that's why we, or the preferred contractor at the manufacturing facilities that we work in because no matter how good of a manager is over us we make them look good we tell them what to do if they do what we say it's, it's, that's why i'm in my role because i have some very very good uh superintendents and uh, project managers and my job is to do what they tell me to do hey what do i have to do i need this all right i'll get it to you that's it's that simple like get someone you trust stick with them and and have the authority to approve things to move it along um Seems like most time the bottleneck is the inability to make a decision, is what I see a lot. It is. It is. Or, yeah, yeah. I guess I would say that. <laughs> um, I was trying to think. That, I mean, there's been those extreme situations that we've had where we're, you know, working for a general and, hey, when you can you? We were doing undergrounds. Hey, when you can go do the undergrounds in this building over here? Uh, we can do them now, but you've got like five other disciplines that are in there, right? Nope, they're all done. You can go in. We go in and next thing you know, they're digging up our conduits because there's someone has to go 27 feet deep underneath us for a drain line or something. Oh, that was your responsibility in your contract that you were supposed to check all the drawings, even the ones you don't have. Okay. <laughs> you know, th thanks for the help there. Yeah. Um, and those jobs end up usually costing us double what we bid for them. That one, that one especially did. Mm, April. And, so and uh, I'm not trying to bash. I feel I feel like when I have these conversations and I've been at Clemson doing uh, guest lectures that I feel like I'm bashing general. I'm not. Um, and a lot of it's our fault that we're not good at working for it uh, for generals. Yeah, as far as when you work for for ownership, you say yes to everything, and you do it, and they take care of you. And there's you know there's wins and losses. Yeah. With the general, especially ones that are kind of you know those issues that you have when you say yeah you can't say yes to everything you have to stay in your ground at times um you know john was talking about where you get delayed a week starting and then at the end of it you're getting fussed at for being a week late you know well what do you expect we were a week start, late starting you know right what are we going to say kyle i was just going to ask so you know a minute ago you were talking about how um, you know, some of the stuff that, that, that you do well um, on, as a subcontractor. So I was kind of thinking about that in terms of, you know, like with John, we talked about, all right, what can the general do better for the subs? How about the other way around for this conversation with you? you what do you guys do that works really well working with general contractors that other subcontractors should should maybe start doing as well? Man, we're, we're super easy as far as accommodating. Uh, it's our flaw with generals, but it's also why we're good, <laughs> you know, um, Hey, won't you guys do this on Saturday? Okay. And, and we take it on the chin and go kind of thing, or 
uh, you know, can you rearrange this or can you, and, and it's good and bad. It's, it's very, very good if, if everyone's doing that and on the same game plan and willing to make sacrifices for the good of, of the whole group, but it's bad if you're the only one doing it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's where we're good is, is we're going to do everything to make the general look good, even if it's to our own demise. Uh, we say yes and we move forward and um, we try to help them with solutions, um, even if it's not in our wheelhouse uh, or, uh, you know, try to accommodate them with what's going on. It, wor it works really well in the manufacturing side of things, working directly for the owners. Uh, like I said, it, it could work really well for the general. It depends on, on which general you're dealing with or which field staff from that general you're dealing with. Yeah, it's 100% the field staff because I've seen really good general contractors perform poorly because their project team is the D team, right? And I've seen poor, like maybe D general contractors have a good project because they got their A team on it, right? So it's hmm. it's kind of funny how you get. It's almost like every general on there has to has to be willing to do that or everyone has to kind of look out for number one. Yeah, I, I th it's funny. We, we, we went on a vacation a couple of weeks ago to an all-inclusive and it's like all right you have to wake up at 6 a.m to to reserve your chair by the pool if you want to get a chair otherwise you don't get it and then you go out there and all the all the chairs are reserved and no one sits in them all day <laughs> it's like if no one reserved chairs there would be plenty of chairs whenever yeah. you wanted but because everyone goes out there and takes care of number one it kind of screws everybody uh don't know if that's don't know if that links exactly but you, you know it's it's kind of no, it we does. Do good, but it, it backfires when when everyone's not on the same page. Yeah, yeah, you can get walked over, but I think people see that though. I think you know, especially especially owners. You know, I'm on the ownership side, and when there's a we've had subs work straight for us as the, on the owner side, and like man, those ones that are like making my life easier, <laughs> those are the ones I'm gonna call back for the next one too. So, yep, we're good. Well, and. And just, just really quick into that point before we leave it, a lot of times that's how the, how the subs end up getting owner work directly too. They, they do a great yeah. job on a project, make it really easy for everybody. They get good feedback. And then, then, then the owner's like, you know what? We're going we're gonna to cut the markup out of this. We're, we're, we're going to get a higher margin, higher return on this subcontract or start investing in them too. So let's call them directly next time. I see that happen a lot. Yep. Yeah, we're very fortunate to be um, a product of that. That's so awesome. It's got to be intentional too. You got to have an intentional culture and make that happen. That doesn't happen by mistake. Well, let's talk about a fun topic: cash flow. Um, you know, subcontractors always are at the bottom of the pile. Well, I guess the sometimes the material vendors and stuff, but usually paid when paid it trickles down. And so, what are some things that you've Boy, seen? Does it? Oh, it does. And you know, it can really drag out. I've seen it. What are some things that contractors can do to help? you guys get paid faster that's a tough one um and you guys talked about this in the previous podcast about just making sure you stay on top of it uh in our weekly meetings we cover our costs and it's a huge indicator for how jobs are going it's not what we're focused on as far as in the job but it is a, a big indicator you know if, if you've got ten thousand dollars in material in a job and you're halfway done and you've already spent 12 you, you got to jump on that um, so, so I, I would mirror what John said previously that stay on top of your paperwork. Um, you know, there's that initial, of course, that uh, initial cash that you get at the beginning of a project to get it started. But it is not a bad idea to go ahead and to submit an invoice the first chance you get, even if it's for a little bit of money to get that flow going and to fill out the process. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of plants that have us on 120 day terms. Jeez. I mean, if you think about that, we can't invoice till 30 days, then you have 120 days before you process it. And then 30 days until we get paid. So now we're at 180 days before we get paid that we've leveraged out our resources um, and payroll and material. Uh, and, but, and we don't do that to our suppliers. We pay our suppliers every 15 days. Uh, so as far as cash flow and getting things flowing, uh, I think you're going to see more and more, especially with the delivery cost of things, um, asking for money up front. We, we've gone to that in a lot of cases. 
um, asking for money up front. Full, you know, if you're going to order a four hundred thousand dollars switch gear, we're going to ask for all of that, at least half of that up front, and then all of it when the order's placed. Uh, there's there's a lot of penalties now with with changing changing your mind about that. Um, and in the high dollar of, of values, um, I was, you know. Uh, Generals are going to have to start working with contractors on that, you know, uh, materials stored off site, materials stored on site, uh, that kind of thing, and, and getting that money flowing, um, you know, within reason, of course. But yeah, stay on top of your paperwork and definitely stay on top of your change orders. Change orders, usually, they don't pay till the end of a project. So, those I've, I've known uh, in, in situation nearby here where we're, we had a bad experience, but there's some very good contractors that got leveraged out on change orders and then the general decided to sit on them for a while and, and they couldn't make payroll. Large companies, uh, you know, they had two to $3 million worth of change orders. Uh, I would also highly suggest to the subs that when the times are good, put the money in the bank uh, and do not leverage yourself out uh, with your line of credits, especially when you're going 120 day terms uh, you need to keep money in the bank and have that solidity for you and your staff um, to ensure that, that things are going to continue to move. You know, I can't tell you how many times we had a company over here where we put a, a, we put a forklift on the elevator and the forks were hanging off the edge. And as the elevator, freight elevator went up, it caught the forks and did some damage to the elevator. And we got burned for $80,000 on that. Had to have cash in pocket. I know that's not a large sum of money for what you're doing, but you're having to pay that out of pocket to go to a, a facility so you can continue work there. You know, little things like that usually don't hit when you want them to. Yeah. Um, so times are good. Put the money in the bank and be stable. Hopefully that answered your question somewhat. No, it um, did. But, um, you know, with, with the way of lean and, and paid when paid and the terms that they're going for, it's, it's, leveraging that more and more uh, so you need more cash in the bank to be stable and ensure that you're not going to put you and your your company at risk i think sometimes you know some state legislatures trying to help out the process i know like wash i think it was washington state i forget what it was but like you can't hold retention on subcontractors or something like that i guess if they're bonded for public work um so some stuff may be trying to help but it's it's such a tough tough job <laughs> the current law in south carolina is that you're supposed to pay i believe this is correct so if i'm wrong forgive me but we we just had to file a lien on a, a company that hadn't paid us in a year um, but you look it up and i believe it's they have 30 days to pay us as state law and then here you are companies asking for 120 day terms is it, it maybe 30 days for public work publicly funded projects that's what i typically see i mean private work they can do whatever the heck want to right that's a that's a private is that contract. true that's okay. my understanding in that general. might be it no trust me you probably know more about that than me i could be putting my foot in my mouth too but that's kind of what i see is i don't do a lot of private work but um it's my i think i don't know kyle but you do private work with your owners and stuff but it seems like usually private works like it's a private contract between two willing companies and you guys just whatever makes sense to y'all go you go do it so yeah. if you agree to 365 day terms and you agree to 365 day terms <laughs> like out of out of all the podcasts and all the feedback you get you know someone's going to chime in on that one subject and harp on it right i hope they do i want to learn up about some yeah. if i'm wrong I'm I know. I'm being wrong and learning from my mistakes <laughs> so if we're wrong please tell I'm us i'm not the financial guy at hill electric so <laughs> Thank well, you. and 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 I, I, you know, I'll speak to what you guys are saying too. I mean, for, at least from what I see, you guys are definitely right. And you know, I, I work with with some large manufacturers, and they're, they're all kind of going towards those extended payment terms, 90, 120 days out, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, the the reality, of the situation is, it's one of those that if you want the work, you just kind of got to suck it up and do it. Otherwise, you need to work with somebody else. That's kind of the attitude. Otherwise. I, I try to incentivize them to pay me earlier. You know, I think I might give them a discount or something if they, if they can improve payment terms or something to that effect. Um, but then also too, um, you know, just think about the reality and practicality of it. It's it's me and my 
four person company versus a manufacturer that has a whole floor of attorneys. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I pretty much um, kind of at the mercy here. They could they could probably put me out of business, just hold me up in court if they, if they wanted to over things. So hopefully that never happens because um, so far I've been I've been lucky. I've worked for some really good ones. So but uh, it is the reality. There's ones out there that will play that game, though. They'll just be like they'll just keep you going in circles. Right. Until you finally give up. Yeah. So. So, Dave, you talk about you're, you're kind of in charge of those training programs, right? Or you yes, sir. Help lead them. Uh, I, I'm interested in kind of understanding how your programs work. I guess do you all have one for your superintendent, your field staff, and a kind of a different program for your PM staff, or how do you all got things going? It. So, of course, we're being a, a medium size, a small general contract, or sorry, electrical contractor. It's, there's not an enormous amount of procedures that we have in place. Um, so I'll do the onboarding training, the basic safety training. So it'd be kind of similar to like OSHA 10 topics, general construction. Um, I do like to, of course, roll in uh, specifics for the job sites that we're at that we see uh, in typical situations that we see, typical situations we've had issues with. Um, from there, um, we'll do, uh, we do a lot of foreman training. Uh, we do quarterly meetings with the foreman where we'll do six or seven hours of training on specific topics. <clears throat> There's the usual ones you have to cover every year of competent person art, uh, fall protection and competent person art flash and shock. Uh, and then we'll cover electrical code and um, general management tools for them in those meetings. Uh, we also like to try to do something fun at the end of the meetings, like go out and do sporting clays or or that aspect and, and kind of build that community. But we, we don't really have individual training programs. So I'll, I'll do safety and safety topics. A lot of that goes off of what we've seen in the field recently. Um, we'll do company-wide once a month and then and address those and best practices. Uh, we'll do the foreman and performance and above training. And then anybody that's up and coming towards a foreman role or leadership role will include in the um, training for code technical, you know, code and technical training, safety, additional safety requirements that a leader would need. For example, a competent person is someone that can determine what fall protection equipment to use versus someone that is qualified to use the fall protection. Uh, so we'll have them in that class. Um, and then we also do have some supplementary classes. Usually after about three months, we'll have uh, our employees go through a, we call it Coop University because the guy that runs it is Vance Cooper, but he'll do so they've been in three months. They We know they're going to work. We know they're going to show up on time and that they're intelligent enough to do what we do and follow the safety rules. So then we invest in them for two to three days of running conduit, uh, basics of electrical material and how it's used and what it's used for and take them through that process and give them some time to, all right, you say you can run conduit, but you've got someone that's very knowledgeable standing behind you while you do it. So we're going to teach you some best practices and then let you go out in a controlled environment and flounder a little bit um, and, and kind of learn from your own mistakes kind of thing and bump them. So we give them that opportunity. And then I take, um, I do a class on controls. So we do a lot of, of machinery installation where you're landing a bunch of devices in a control cabinet uh, you know, and building the control cabinets themselves. So someone that's been here two to three years that shows promise will go through the controls course where I teach them how to read the the complicated side of the electrical drawings and get the wire, wire to the correct place um, and and start to build those circuits. And then the next the next course would be on, okay, now you can get the wire to the right place, but let's start recognizing aspects of this drawing so that you know when something's wrong. Like, all right, there's a red wire here and it's DC voltage, it should be a blue kind of thing. Or, hey, you've got a 24 volt solenoid and you're taking it 480. Uh, that aspect of things. So that, we don't by any means have the training perfect. Um, I think we do more than any any of the contractors our size that I've dealt with or talked to or that we have relationships with um, and try to move it along. Um, but yeah, a lot of our training is having the right field staff in place that are knowledgeable to work with those that are up and coming and invest in them. That's so. awesome. Having that, just being intentional about putting your up-and-comers with the right people on the job site, though, and kind of having that structure and kind of, I guess, a mentorship program, sort of, 
that alone. Correct. Yes. That's yeah, awesome. we get a lot of staff that comes in that needs needs mentoring for sure. <laughs> we all do. Personal and professional. <laughs> so, so really quick, David, on that, um, are you seeing much for for trends in the industry as far as uh, you know the, the trade shortage? I, I, I've been dying to ask you this, you know, since you're obviously really close to the sub world and um, you know hiring hiring people and bringing in bringing in uh, workers in the industry, are you seeing a lot of difficulty and are you seeing an effect from the shortage or not? So I'm sure you've heard for the past six years, everyone say the same thing of I can't find good help and where to find them. Um, I'll, I'll give Angela a lot of credit with the way that she's exposing us in the digital world and marketing. And uh, we've been doing a lot of guest lectures at Clemson and all the technical colleges nearby and the uh, high school career tech centers, an extreme amount. I feel like the last two months of, of the high school schedule, I'm doing a, some sort of talk or expo or career day every, you know, every day of the week. Um, and it's finally, it's finally seemed to, to, to gain traction. And also it, it seems like there's more people coming to work again, because I've hired 12 people in the last two months, which would be a, a record for Hill Electric um, I feel like I've gotten some very quality, some quality employees, and I currently have a stack on my desk of, of applications that I haven't been able to go through yet that have been there for two weeks. Wow. Uh, so I don't know. I can't tell you what's changed. Um, a lot of, I'd say half of those came from um, the field staff recommending people that they know, and half of them were from being in the schools and the guest lecture series. Uh, but, but there seems to be people showing up to work all of a sudden for people who kind of don't know Angela and what she's doing. Can you give a little, you talk about like getting exposure in the digital world. Like, so, and I'm probably gonna say something stupid and Angela will correct <laughs> me later, but, uh, so Angela is, is, um, director of our marketing and business development. So she is our complete, uh, digital footprint, right? That's, you know, doing right. the podcast and, going to do the guest lectures and exposing us on all of the digital platforms. Um, on top of that, she is getting, putting us in for awards and, uh, you know, different, different things that we can do to expose us even more uh, and is doing an absolute phenomenal job. She has contacted all of the, the high schools that I've been through and worked through that and been part of, of helping me to be successful in those realms. Um, you know, if you go around even the large electrical contractors and look at their websites, they haven't been updated in 15 years. You know, 15 years ago, I had a flip phone. Uh, we're, we're in the era of, a, of, of educated consumers. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go to Target and walk around looking for something. I'm going to know what I'm going to buy because I did my research and I walk in and I buy it or I just order and it shows up. Well, that's the same way with, with contractors now. They're not. I can't go to a door and knock on someone's facility and get work because they're not going to answer. And there's no secretary. There's no one there to answer. And you can call them and get spun around. And, and that's not how people do business anymore. Um, so there's a ton of electrical. And it seems like some of our peer competitors that we have good relationship with have started to follow our trend a little bit. Um, Angela is happy, but mad about that. Of course, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they've seen that we've had some success going into the career tech centers and, you see them kind of moving in, uh, which there again, you know, it's, it's nice to have have that by yourself, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're going to catch on sooner or later. Well, it helps the industry, though, right? Because you guys can't hire everybody at the Career Tech Center. So, you know, we kind of everybody starts getting involved and starts growing the next generation, though. But I guess it was I, nice I, to have a monopoly. <laughs> I, I really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy being there in the, in the schools uh, from a personal standpoint. Um, you got all of these young kids that that are eager to learn and i'm telling you i don't know once again i don't know the specifics of how anderson is doing it but compared to the other counties i've been to anderson is doing a phenomenal job of investing in exactly what this area needs which is uh technical skilled labor and skilled trades and they are making it where they're basically making it where you can attend high school and go to the career tech center and get credits at the technical college and basically where you can shave off semesters or years off of getting a two-year tech degree 
so that saves them money and time and gets more people educated people out in the workforce because so hill electric traditionally we we started with textiles and it, it you had you had the the people that came out of high school and went to further education to go into the textile technical roles like a maintenance tech and then you had people that were not wanting to go to that education but still had good skill and mechanical ability and, and that was where we would live we're all competing for the same people now we're all competing for anyone that's intelligent enough to turn a screwdriver in the right direction and uh you know i'm, I'm competing financially with people that are, are running manufacturing machines and it, it used to be a difference and now it's not now like you said every, every everyone's competing for the same the same people and it's, it's tough um, like i said it's very surprising the number of applications i have my desk right now uh, but you know angela's done a phenomenal job of, of getting us out there and um, getting us known and getting those relationships as i've seen a few people that have really doubled down on that content creation and especially on the on the internet and social media and all those sort of things and so I've mentioned them probably in every other podcast since we started this thing, but Chris Gutke's with Island Elevator, which we probably got to get him on sooner than later. But because everyone uh, hates elevator guys, everyone hates elevator guys more than the electrician. So I need y'all to fight it out um, for the he most hated. <laughs> but no, so he, he creates a lot of like kind of funny videos and he's kind of a, a funny guy on LinkedIn and those sort of things, right? And he first said he first started doing this and started making all these videos. And he's got like a lot of really good kind of instructional videos and stuff. And like kind of talking to his client about elevator service contracts and what to look for and don't look for and all these sort of things. And he kind of started said he started making these silly videos and really making this content as a sales tactic, right? He's trying to go get contracts, trying to get service contracts. He's trying to like get his name out there for the customers. Because what he found was like doing that, the employee side was like following him and said, man, I want to work for this guy. I like this culture. I like their attitude. And yeah. so he was getting all these people come to knock on his door. Like, Hey, you're hiring. Like, I want to come work for you guys because of what he was doing. So he's like, I've never had like a problem hiring people. Cause like people are coming knocking on our door and he didn't think that was going to be the case when he started. Right. He was trying to get, he was using it as a sales technique and less of like a recruiting technique. So it's kind of cool to see. And I can kind of see that too. It's, it's funny when, you know, I'm doing your career days at, at, the high schools and the kids come over and talk to me. They don't, they don't want to hear anything about Hill electric, but they like our hats. And uh, so I'll say, well, you can have it if you can beat me and be the first to, if you can beat me in burpees, if you can first to 10 burpees, <laughs> if you can beat me, you get the hat and they love it, you know, that kind of thing. And next thing you know, I've got three of their buddies that were standing around them calling me, but I didn't say anything about working for electrical contractor whatsoever. Yeah. It was more that they saw a little bit of personality and, we like to have some fun and um and then their friend got beat by an old man so <laughs> they, they enjoy it so i could see that working really well yeah angela, we got to get angela to let me do some some videos we'll see we'll see how that can go i'll give angela a call we gotta we gotta let you maybe i'll do some without her at first and then see what happens if she you know approves after the fact angela you need to turn david loose <laughs> she's probably watching right now isn't she <laughs> She's at the beach. She'll be watching the replay. I guarantee it. Well, guys, we're inching up here on an hour. Uh, Kyle, you got any anything else to bring up? Ed? Yeah, no, no. I think it was some great conversation. It was really fun to hear the hear the sub side of things, and um, you know, I feel there's a lot of good good nuggets in this one too, Matt. I think there was a lot of uh, conversation that I didn't see it going that way, but glad it did. So. It's a great time. I do have to say, Kyle, every time I look at you on the screen, I can't see your neck because your beard and your shirt, your black shirt. And I think you're like getting your hair cut with one of those that they put around the front. I don't know why, but when you first came on, I'm like, is he getting his hair cut? Don't, hey, hey, don't, don't, don't judge. Don't knock it till you've tried it, you know? I'm just letting you know, man. It looks, that's what it looks like. I can't see your arms and I can't see your neck, so it looks like you've got a, a drape on. He's usually sitting in the coffee shop, so I wouldn't put it past him to sit in the barbershop. That's what that noise was last time. Yep, you could hear it in the background. Hey, next next time, Matt, I will do it. I don't I don't doubt you. It's like take your headset off, headset off for a second and or you can cut around. Starbucks plays <laughs> Starbucks plays incredibly loud music. They do. Yes. We had one episode where Kyle was in a rave at Starbucks or something like that. It was bumping. 
<laughs> so, well, David, appreciate it, man. You got anything else to add? I don't. I appreciate the time. Uh, I hope it was worthwhile to anyone listening. And uh, please feel free to shoot me any questions or if anything else you guys want to talk about later. I'm, I'm fair game, man. Appreciate it, man. How can people get in touch with you if they have any questions or want to reach out? So if you go to hillelectric.net, uh, you can get in touch with me that way. Um, uh, or you can shoot me an email at david at hillelectric.net. We'll keep it simple. There's only one David. Can't hire anyone named <laughs> David or else. David it's yeah. complicated, man. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate it, David. Yes, sir. Thanks a lot. No problem, Kyle. See you guys. <laughs>